This is your warning. This episode contains spoilers for the the Halloween episode known as I'm sorry, no, the episode is entitled The Boogie also known as the Halloween episode, and it also contains some slight spoilers for the episode entitled Play It Again, See More, which will be coming up in just a few months here on The Starbright Project. You have been warned, my friends. Now, let's get on with this very special episode. This is your warning. This episode contains spoilers for the the Halloween episode known as... I'm sorry, no, the episode is entitled The Boogie, also known as The Halloween Episode, and it also contains some slight spoilers for the episode entitled Play It Again, See More, which will be coming up in just a few months here on The Starbright Project. You have been warned, my friends. Now, let's get on with this very special episode. Welcome to the Starbright Project. Hey there, this is still the Starbright Project, and I am still your ghost. Your ghost? Your ghost for the evening, Aaron Brotherhead Moss. And, well, we are still looking at the TV show Quantum Leap. But, as you may notice, not the first Thursday of the month. No. Check your calendars, kids. This is Halloween. And so tonight, me and my beautiful wife, Michelle, are bringing you a very special Halloween episode of the Starbright Project. Join us for this multi-episode spooktacular as me and Michelle, or Michelle and myself, as which well, my, my one of my old teachers would correct me, and join us and our special guests for these Halloween treats. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> Sorry, I passed out during uh, what's on Sam's uh, Halloween playlist. Uh. Hey, Leapers. This is Aaron Moss, the editor of this episode and this podcast. Um, Hayden's talking about passing out during the the uh, what's on Sam's Halloween playlist. Uh, you haven't heard this due to life and uh, my uncle recently passing away and other issues. We haven't finished this episode, but uh, we should be finishing it up and it be released probably a little bit late. But that's what our, our good friend Hayden McQueen is talking about. So I just want to explain that real quick in case you're like, what's he talking about? Did I pass out? No, no, I passed out during the, the recording of it too, also. So uh, watch for that coming soon here on the Starbright Project. All right. Uh, let's back to Hayden introducing this episode. Thanks, Hayden. 
In true friend fashion, Aaron and Michelle drew dicks all over my face, and uh, yeah, it's uh, not not a pretty sight. But uh, well, but your, your face or the dicks on your face? Which one is it? Oh, well, not a pretty sight. Oh. <laughs> I threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> well, in, in our defense, there's already one on your head when we started. So, uh, I wonder where that one came I, from. <laughs> I just added yeah. to it. I'm just kidding, yeah. Hayden. <laughs> Yeah. But of course, I'm keen to crack on. So, as always, what good is a party without a party crasher? Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, uh, I've gotten on the phone with someone to crash our party. So, hello, mystery guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I, I thought we should take maybe a, for somebody to figure it out. I mean, we have all night. <laughs> I was. I have to laugh. It's my name is Paul Link, like the missing link. And I am yeah. your mystery guest. Awesome. Yes, you were in two episodes of Quantum Leap, weren't you? You were in the episode we're discussing today, which is a, about the Halloween episode that shall not be named. <laughs> uh, is that called Boogeyman, uh, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but uh, in, in amongst the Quantum Leap <laughs> fandom, there's uh, a bit of a superstition around the, the name of that episode. It's like uh, the Shakespearean Scottish play that you can't say the name of. So. Really? <laughs> I yeah. call shenanigans. I run outside and run around the house three times. <laughs> it's okay, sir. <laughs> I call shenanigans. Just, anything just to make sure that the technology doesn't stop up during uh, <laughs> during uh, your time here. Um, so I yes, had, I had no idea about that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. Even in uh, some of the quantum leap fan circles, if someone tries to type out the name of the episode, it usually senses itself and puts little asterisks in a couple of spots <laughs> just so that the whole name isn't. Yeah. <laughs> really? And what? What is that all about? Do you think? Okay. Well, apparently, this particular episode has. Uh, a history of having a lot of stuff go wrong when people are trying to watch it. Like people's VCRs will stuff up, or there'll be some sort of a some sort of a natural disaster at the time that it's happening. Things like that happen. And, you know, even on the Quantum Leap podcast when we were recording something for that one, we had troubles with it because someone was saying that <laughs> we're trying hard not to tempt fate. That's really uh, that's. I'm trying to remember if there was anything that happened, you know, when we did it that was out of the ordinary, but I can't remember anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So you played Sheriff Masters in that episode? I did. I did. Yeah. And I, as, since we spoke, or I shouldn't say we spoke, since we communicated through this uh, social media forum, uh, a messenger, uh, you mentioned that I could use the NBC app and go watch the old episodes. So I did take advantage of that. And it was really interesting to uh, to watch those two shows. <laughs> it's been so long since I did them, I didn't really remember a lot about them. Yeah, and you mentioned you're in a second one. Uh, the timing of having you here is very opportune, actually, because we've done this one as a, as a Halloween special, but the next one in our rotation is is actually played against Seymour, which yep. you were also in, yep. and you played Lionel in that episode. Yeah, but for example, I watched that one, and I'm watching it and with my wife. My wife came in and she's watching it. And I suddenly realized that I was the bad guy. 
<laughs> so you, you hadn't watched it in so long you couldn't remember. I'm telling you, I'm watching, and then all of a sudden I'm like shooting. I'm shooting a gun, and I have no memory of that whatsoever. It's so oh, that's amazing. <laughs> anyway, I better check. Aaron, is all the recording going okay? Yep, everything appears to be... No, everything, everything's going fine. Uh, <laughs> everything's going fine. I hope you just pressed mute to mess with me there and that it didn't actually stop up. But uh, Michelle, you're sitting there very quiet. How are you going? Good. I'm just, we have a puppy here. So I'm trying to flag my daughter to come get this dog because he's driving me crazy. Could you tell us how you yes. got the parts in Quantum Leap? What was the process like in actually getting onto the show? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with Don Belisario, really, when it came right down to it, because he was the boss, and he hired, you know, he had the last say on talent, so no matter what, you know, so it was an audition process, but then him, and fortunately, you know, I never had a lot of success with nepotism, that was never my particular path, but Don did know my dad, and had a relationship with my father, and, and he Don liked me, he really liked me, so I did one... Uh, I guess, the, I think I did the Lionel one first, and then he, uh, later, and that was, I think, the eighth episode they ever made. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. later in the third season, they had me come back, and I did the one we won't mention in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to cause any problems. There are technology to crash right now. But, and, you know, they had me back, and I didn't even, I don't, I don't think I even auditioned for the second. And, and it helped also that Scott... Scott was a very, um, he believed in me. And I had, a, I was doing my one-man show at the time, and I was having a lot of acclaim doing that. And Scott had seen it, and people that had seen it tended to be very seriously affected by it in a way that was very moving to them. So he was always, you know, in other words, when I showed up on the set, there was already, there was a respect because he, he knew what I was capable of. And he was such a wonderful presence and such a great actor to work with, so. I was so thrilled to get to come back and do a second one. Fantastic. You know, everyone who we speak to uh, always says that Scott was so amazing to work with, so nice to everybody, and keeps in touch with it, as many people as he can. It's so nice hearing, you know, someone who seems to be that nice in the public eye actually is in real life. It makes for some boring podcasting, but <laughs> it, it's definitely really lovely to hear. Well, I think it's good to know that there are people yeah. in the industry who are, are truly kind, real people, authentic people. I was telling you when we were practicing the technology of it all, that there's a Christmas party that my wife and I would be invited to every year, and Scott and his wife Chelsea would be there. And, you know, Scott is still such a loyal friend that the hostess of the party, Mary Lou Belli, who's a director, she um, has done a bunch of those NCS, what is it, N N NCI? NCIS? Yep. Yeah, the one that they do down in New Orleans. Yeah. So she's gotten to direct a bunch of them. So my point is he is, he's somebody who goes to bat for people he believes in. And there's there's not a lot, a lot of people in the industry, no one does that. Yeah. So it, they, those people, even though it's not, as you would say, it doesn't make for a good test, it, it's, it's, it's important for people to know there is good and kindness out there and that even in... We're big stars. Yeah, and, you know, I think in these crazy times that we're in at the moment, uh, we really need people like that 
in, in the yeah. public eye and, and setting a good example. And I think yeah. uh, we definitely need Quantum Leap back yes. <laughs> at this time. Oh, yeah. Well, I was, gonna, I was wanting to ask you guys, what, what do you think, what is it about Quantum Leap that has engendered a following or an, a group, a zeitgeist of interest in it? I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, on my side of things, you know, it was a show that was on, and it was a it was a job, and it was the really good parts, and I was treated well, and it was a great experience. Um, it's amazing to see what things catch on as time goes on and finds that community of people that are uh, interested, moved by, loved it, feel connected to it. I'm Can sure. I go first? <laughs> so, to answer your question. The whole premise, the, the the whole reason is that I get to sit here and I get made fun of. <laughs> and the reason why <laughs> is because I'm the newbie of the group. The whole premise behind our podcast is actually it's a Star Bright project is what you're on. And my husband and Aaron has a lot of different podcasts that he does. And I was like, well, I want to do one. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, um, I'm not sure. And he had mentioned Quantum Leap. And I said I had seen a couple episodes when I was younger. And I really enjoyed what I had seen of it. But it was just in passing for me. And Aaron actually is a huge time travel nut. He loves it. The Flash, all of that. And I enjoy The Flash, too. And I actually enjoy time travel. For instance, when you've got Back to the Future on, if it's on TV, it's on our television to the point where I got to the point where I'm starting to not like Back to the Future because it was on so much on our television. And so he's like, well, why don't we try watching Quantum Leap? And I'm like, all right, that sounds like fun because I, I enjoyed the two or three episodes that I had seen, but I hadn't, I don't remember them except for certain little aspects of them. And I was like, well, let's do that. So then we were like, you know, this kind of would be a really neat hook where you've got the newbie who's never seen it. And then you guy have the guy who's seen all of them and is like a walking, not walking encyclopedia, but knows quite a bit about it. And then the, the rule was, I could only watch the episodes that we recorded for the show. And then he brought Hayden on. So now you've got two guys who know a lot about the show and I ask questions and they're and they're like, oh, well, we'll put a pin in that. Or, Michelle, you got to go in the other room. Why us two big boys have a conversation because you can't hear about it. So a lot of times I'll ask a question and like, oh, that's like an episode 20 million in like season gazillion down the road. You'll get an answer eventually. But right now, no, you're not going to know anything. And so I just have to sit back and wait and hope for the best that I'll get an answer eventually. And then they make fun of me because they know all the answers and little old me knows absolutely diddly squat. But it's a lot of fun because it's fun not knowing and then I could put a new spin on things or I'll say something to them and they'll be like, wow, I never thought of that. That's actually a really good point. And then they'll be like, wow, I never thought of that way. And I open their eyes a little bit, which is kind of fun because I'm like, well, why didn't you think of it that way? And they're like, well, I don't know, maybe because I wasn't really looking at the episode the way you were because I'm watching it with a deep interest, you know, where they were just watching it 
as entertainment. Gotcha. But it's it's been a lot of fun. So I think that now did you did you did you watch like for example did you just watch the the Halloween one the one we won't mention yes sir the title is that one that yes sir gotcha so did you have you just seen that very recently yes sir that's actually the last one I've seen yeah we just watched it okay. a couple nights ago we already watched that one out of order right, cool. Yeah, I have to even watch them in order, and if the guide, the TV guide is on, and Quantum Leap is on, my husband won't even let me read the synopsis. I got you, I got you. Well, you gotta protect, you gotta protect the brand. Yeah. This is what you guys are doing, so, and now I understand what the whole deal is, so I got it. But they're, but they're mean. Yeah, to answer your question as well, Paul, uh, I think Part of the appeal of Quantum Leap is the fact that I think it's something that everyone can relate to, this idea of, you know, everyone having some regrets in their life and wanting to go back and try and fix them up. I, th- I think that there is this this um, something that everyone there can relate to. Uh, I, I like the, the premise that, you know, one person can really make a difference, uh, whether it's for good or for bad, because in some cases it's for bad, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I do think that there is something there that everyone can relate to, and that's part of the reason why there is such a cult following, you know, however many years later. I think it's, we're getting up to 30 years since uh, the show's finished now. So, yeah, and I think it's aged very well, too. It's, it's pretty timeless. Absolutely. Do Quantum Leap fans have a method or a way of connecting with one another? Are there Quantum Leap chat rooms or are there Quantum Leap There's Facebook clubs? groups. Yeah, there are Facebook groups. Uh, there's a website called Owl's Place, which has a lot of uh, media from behind-the-scenes stuff and deleted scenes. There's a fan forum on there that people can talk on as well. And on social media, you know, you can find people who are keen on the same things that you are. And like Michelle said, there's a lot of Facebook groups. I think there's groups on Instagram and Twitter as well. We're all around. <laughs> I used to run a crafting group on Facebook that had over 10,000 people and I just happened I was like you know I wonder and I just post posed the question the other night I'm like does anybody remember the TV show Quantum League does anybody like that show and all of a sudden all these Scott Bakula gifts started popping up left and right and they're like hey hey you know Oh boy, oh boy, like all of these are just popping up. And I just started laughing. I was like, wow. And all these ladies were just like popping up. I was like, whoop, there goes one of my questions of it. Was this guy ever a sex symbol? And I'm like, I guess I got that question answered. <laughs> but uh, I also want to say, I really think before Aaron, you took your turn in answering this question, I also think, you know, with Hayden saying that it's timeless. I think there's so much crap on TV with the Kardashians and all this reality shows and all of that. I think that Joe Public kind of misses the syndication television. And I think that the people who remember it, we kind of cherish it. And especially when you remember a good syndication and you remember good writing and you remember good storytelling, that lives on forever. And especially when it's written well and it has something that holds on to you to the core, I think that it can 
hold something dear to you and it does become timeless because it it holds no boundaries. And I think that things like the Kardashians, that it's so just here and now and in you're not going to remember that episode five days from now unless it's like something funny or stupid. And then even then, like a month later, you might for you're probably going to forget it. You know, it's just it's just dumb television. It's it, mindless. Unfortunately, unfortunately, reality television ended ended a lot of careers. A lot, it, it, it took so many from actors. It did. Because suddenly they were, if you, if you look at the landscape of television through the time of the emergence of uh, reality television, suddenly you know, prime time is all these reality shows. Mm-hmm. The Bachelor or The Voice or America's Got Talent or The Dance Thing. I mean, and you know, all those hours used to be scripted shows. Yeah. Yep. There used to be movies of the week. It used to be, you know, the network was a different place, then, but it's all changed so much. And, of course, now with COVID and the whole streaming world, it's all different now. It's, oh, all, yeah. it's never going to be the same. Do you think maybe with COVID we might start seeing more scripted shows coming back? Because I think I know that a lot of TV shows, especially the reality shows, are having trouble actually getting anything filmed at the moment because of the situation. Do you think maybe with you know, the re-emergence of syndicated scripted shows, which people have to watch because they've got nothing else to watch, that, you know, we might start seeing some sort of a, revi- a revival of scripted TV. I would hope so. I mean, right now, I think all that's happening outside of not in the world of network. Nothing that you would think of as, what we think of as syndicated shows, you know. It's, it's more the streaming and, uh, mm-hmm. and the cable. The HBO and the Showtimes, and you know, there's a lot of great work being done in in the world of Netflix. There's some great content now. Oh yeah. I mean, and speaking of time travel, I mean, I I have to we have to tip our hats to Outlander. <laughs> if you haven't watched Outlander, have you watched Outlander? No, I haven't watched that one yet. Uh, I haven't yet, but. It- it's one that I've been meaning to, but just well, getting I, around to it. Believe me, if you're into this notion of time travel, Outlander is, pardon my French, friggin' incredible. And I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a 72 year old guy, and I was, I said my wife, uh, she wanted to watch it because everyone told her the lead looked like her, <laughs> like her, you know, um, especially when my wife was a little younger, but. So I watched one, and I said, be careful. You know, this is a six-year deal or something. There's a lot of episodes <laughs> of this. And uh, it was incredible. It was I'm, – I'm, I'm jonesing for – I think there were five. I'm jonesing for season six now to come. Come. We want it to come. Anyway, put it, on your, put it on in your queue. Will do. You time travel aficionados and check it out. But anyway, I'm interested to hear uh, Aaron's answer to uh, your question. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think the appeal of Quantum Leap is, Aaron? Well, I want to follow up on what you said. I mean, I agree with what you said, but also take in, like Michelle said, the writing. And I think part of the, the charm, part of the appeal for this show is the, the acting by Scott Bakula and uh, Dean Stockwell. They work so great together. And like uh, Paul said and every other guest we've talked to says, Scott's just a great guy to work with. 
And that that comes through as a viewer, I think, because he comes. Like I said I watched part, some of Enterprise that he's on. I watched, you know, and he's just a great actor. And I think that, like I said, that the chemistry between him and Dean helped bring this show, helped make this show timeless. And then also the show itself, seeing how he's leaping through time. I mean, if you have a show set in modern day, well, in five, ten years, that's going to look a little out of date. But this here actually takes place in different time zones, so different eras. So it never looks like it's out of place because it's always out of place. Yeah, you know, one of the things that was cool, I really appreciated watching the, this Halloween-type episode with the, the odd name. Uh, Boogeyman. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my thought because you laughed. I, I was trying to make you laugh, <laughs> and I lost my thought. Well, I'll get back to that. Pardon me. Uh, it was something about watching the Halloween episode about it being set in a particular time period. It'll come back. Pardon me. I just... <laughs> Uh, I lost it. I have that problem. Yeah. No, that's all right. I was actually going to ask, um, did you enjoy working in Quantum Leap set in, you know, a period like the 1950s in a noir setting or in, I think, was the, was the episode we sharp named, I think that was the 60s, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, and uh, in, in kind of the, the spooky sort of setting. How, how does it feel, you know, working in something that's so different from, you know, your everyday life? Well, I mean, in the play it again Seymour episode yeah. um, that you're going to do soon, that was an amazing experience because uh, the, all those club sequences, you know, when they're, when they're in the nightclub, uh, they really took the Coconut Grove over in Hollywood. And oh. the, I remember one night that my call was fairly late, like 11, 8, 11 p.m., and they'd already worked 24 straight hours. Wow. Uh, I'll never forget that. And we went through that night into the next day. So, uh, you know, they, they, the overtime, and that was episode eight. And, you know, that's the thing about those shows that we love and are nostalgic about. What people don't realize the first year of those shows, making them is so time difficult because the crew is learning how to work together. They're, they're out on the streets. They're trying to make it look a certain way. They didn't have the technology of today at their hand. It's all, it's old school and um, long, long, long hours. It was true on ships as well. You know, 18 hour days every day. You know, you know, five days a week. I mean, I just remember how hard that crew was working on that quantum leap, and I love the detail, the the you know the the period nature of it, and I love the I did like the writing and the cleverness of how they would always how they would the, the, the newspaper might suddenly allow you to know what day, what right. year, where you are, you know, and I loved. Um, in the the Halloween show, I think, which is where I was going for just the notion of. You know, in the end, when the kid gets into the car and it's Steve, you know, it's like, oh, Stephen. I miss King. King. <laughs> Mrs. King. Like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, it, it was a lot going on in the writing. It was very complex, but, but they, it was clever. It was very, very clever. Yeah. That writing was very clever at times. Uh, like when Sam's trying to talk to Al, but there's someone else around and he has to word what he's saying in such a way so that Al knows what he's saying, but also he doesn't appear like he's talking to himself and the other person thinks that they're having a conversation with him as well and they answer it something different. They it's amazing. Have, 
you know, it's funny. I was watching that this week and watching episodes, and I did, I did note that. I thought those guys really got that down. They they learned how to do that because it really, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Dean is walking through people, you know, and they're in the middle of conversations, and, and Scott had a, you know, he's talking to two people at one time, and it was they. Did it very well. Those guys were great, and I got a kick out of the little handheld like, yeah, com- <laughs> like computer device. Yeah, what's in touch with what Ziggy? Is it Ziggy? Yeah, that's it. You know, you know those little details. I quite frankly had forgotten. <laughs> and 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 you are right. Dean as well was another consummate professional because there was you know they. Just, they did what they had to do. They worked hard, and you know, they had and they had a belief in the show, and it, it caught and won, won five seasons, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did you get to work much with Dean when you were on the show? A little bit, mostly uh, hang around. You know, and he'd be getting ready to do a scene or something, but we talk. You know, we were in like the nightclub scene when I came. You know, they're, they're just different where you hang out. You know, because it's mostly a waiting game. You realize, yeah, the act. Most of the time, they're so you you know once you they hurry you to get you ready, and then you wait. And you no. can wait a long time. <laughs> <laughs> wait a long time, and you have to hope that it's not too hot out because the makeup will melt and run, and they've got to do that again. They've got to get the hair right again. I, w- I actually was I was cast in the movie Traffic, the Steven Soderbergh movie with Michael Douglas, and I went to DC to do it. And I was one of the, in the lobbyist scene where he, first, where he gets the, the job as the head of the DEA, whatever the job was he got. And, and uh, I, we all went to this room. The trailers were not usable because the toilets had broken down. So they got us a big, big ballroom with these tall chairs and comfortably sat there. And, you know, we probably were there by 11 a.m. And first guy goes in. There were only six of us. He's back in 20 minutes. Gone. Beautiful. It's easy. Next guy goes down. He's 20 minutes. Third guy. And I'm like fifth. I go, this is great. Or I'm six, actually. So this, I may get out of here by three o'clock. Well, I was still sitting there at 1 a.m. Because things happen. Suddenly, yeah. the real senators started coming in. They're filming them. Then there's dinner. Then there's, you know, it's like, my point is, it's a waiting game. Most of the time, you sit and you wait. You try to figure out how to maintain your energy. And Quantum Leap 2, they had such a such a heavy schedule that they had to keep up to because I think they, they worked on an eight-day schedule like that from the right. start yeah. to the end of one episode and they'd have to yeah. get the sets built. They have to get the costumes right. done. They have to get everything fi- filmed. Everyone has to know their lines. Everyone just has to go and do it straight away. And then by the end of the eight days, everything's dismantled and the next one's built and yeah, they start all over again. The next one, the director yeah. has been prepping the eight days before. You know, the director preps and casts. Right. While they're shooting the episode that's in play, and the regulars are getting scripts that are coming ahead in the next episodes as they come, and then they're you know getting the changes, and they're you know they're learning that and learning what they're going to have to be you know doing because sometimes it involves dancing or special things that they're going to have to suddenly come up with, and meanwhile the machine just keeps going, it just it keeps cranking it out. So if you're on a series. And you're in a park like Scott had. It's a twenty four seven deal. You you earn your money because it's it's a grind. Yeah, and Scott Bakula too must have been the hardest working man in showbiz at that time because <laughs> he was in probably ninety nine percent of all the scenes doing something. 
For all yeah. intents and purposes, you could say he's an entirely different character in every episode mm-hmm. that he's in. And I mean, for uh, him, what a great... Yeah. He loved the fact, I mean, who wouldn't? Because he had the chops, and every week he got to play all kinds of stuff. He played, I mean, <laughs> it was amazing the different things he got to play. Yeah, so he can go from being a horror writer to a beauty queen in the space of one episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for him, it was a hoot. And, and the fact that it was a success and a hit is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a tribute to him and, and, to, the, and to Dean and to all those, those writers and, and, and Don Bar- Belisario. He, uh, his vision, he pulled it off. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I feel a little bad, as always, I've commandeered our mystery guest <laughs> chat, so I'm wondering if uh, Aaron or Michelle have anything they want to ask. Well, I know when I, I saw this Play Against Seymour episode, I knew you looked familiar. I had to look it up, and then I, that's when I realized you were on Chips as gross, but I'm like, oh, I know him. I watch Chips all the time growing up, so I thought that was really cool. I'd like to think, but I hope so. Uh, yeah, I was very proud of that. That was quite an experience. I mean... Again, I wasn't one of the main guys, so, I mean, those guys busted their oh, yeah. hump getting that show, because it was, again, an eight-day shoot to get an episode, and of the eight days, seven days were either on the freeway or on city streets, Yep. so, and all over, you know, and so they were they long, long hours. I mean, I, I remember the week I was getting married to my late wife, I was called every day at seven. I sat in the room from my little room from seven to seven for wow. five days, and I was getting married that week. They wouldn't let me get a haircut. <laughs> I had Dodger World Series tickets. I couldn't go. I mean, and I was getting married that weekend. And seven to seven for five days never worked once. Oh no! <laughs> it was insane. But that's you know they they own you, and it's so yep. that's what you got to get. Uh, I, I think I, I, I had a quick look at IMDb before we started, and I see you're in a couple of episodes of uh, Happy Days as well. Another one I of did my favorite. I played Bruiser. That was a lot of fun because, you know, well, you would know this, but when I was uh, when I moved to California with my parents in 1960, the reason we moved was my father was Andy Griffith's partner, and the Andy Griffith wow. show was going on the air. And so they were going into production, and so Andy and my father moved their families. We all moved out. And uh, so that's when I came to California. Fantastic. And again, I'm sorry, I was I started to have a memory, and I lost what I was talking about. But uh, Happens to all of us. Yeah. yeah. Well, Michelle mentioned The Flash. She was referring to the current Flash, but I know you're also an episode of the, the 90s Flash. I did you an episode of The Flash long ago. Yeah, that was that was an all nighter kind of a thing. Oh, was that where I remember it was in a museum, like the Museum of National History, right? Town. Clarence, you know who was in it? it? Was the big man Clarence Clemens? Oh, okay. And from, from the E Street Band, the Trump, the yeah. uh, saxophone player. Anyway, uh, he was in it. I remember spending nights talking to him about the music and Bruce Springsteen and what had happened to the E Street Band. Wow. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't tell me why they were, had broken up or what was happening, but. That was a real example of, of how difficult the business is because all the work was in the middle of the night. You know how hard it is to be to act at four in the morning. It's it, you know unless you're really trained to do that, it's insane. You know, you're you know, in other words, you sit in your room, they call you. You know, you got to have energy for for the camera. But uh, the flash, I remember the other thing about the flash. I remember is the suit the guy had to wear. Right. Yeah. When they first put it on him, 
they had a problem keeping him okay because it, the heat factor. So he had a little vent and he had a cooling device <laughs> that they had to plug him into. Otherwise, he couldn't wear the suit. Right. Because it would, uh, literally, it would, it would, you know, he would stop breathing. It would it clog up his skin. It was, yeah. it was too much. So, um, and you know, here's the thing. Can anyone, and I don't mean this from any disrespectful, I don't remember what the actor's name was who played that role of Flash. John Wesley Ships. Very good. I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big comic book fan, and I love the series. I love the current one. In fact, he's he's been on the the current Flash series. Oh, has he? Yeah, he's, it was funny. I, I, I kind of picked up in my periphery that there was I hear the Flash, and I'm going, are they remaking that show? And they do. They are. Huh? Yeah, and yeah. it's been going for the last They're couple about of years, five, five or six seasons. Yeah, well, I was getting yeah. back to Happy Days. It's back to Happy Days. Pardon me. I, I don't like to leave things stories on the hell like that. No, that's oh, fine. that's all. Right. At least I talked about California. So we come out with Andy Griffith and Ron Howard's a little boy. You know, he's open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1960. And my father would say to me, "Why don't you come to the studio?" And play catch with Ron. You know, he loves baseball. And, you know, so I go and I play catch with Ron. And, you know, because I'm like, I think, nine years older than he is. And we became friends. And years later, I'm doing that happy days. And we're sitting in the makeup chair. And Ron says to me, do you remember how you took me to my first Dodger game? And I go, I know, true, I had no memory of this. But it seems that at age 17, you ready for this? My dad had four seats behind home plate. Ron and his mother allowed me to take Ron Howard, who at that point must have been about eight or nine, on a school night to Dodger Stadium to watch a baseball game. And I had completely forgotten. I was a very responsible guy. I drove. I, you know, I, was, I knew how to handle it myself. But I completely forgot. So we're sitting there, and Ron starts to tell me about the game. He says, remember who pitched? And he knows both pitchers. And he goes, remember how he got the game-winning hit? And remember how he hurt his leg on that slide? And remember, I mean, he remembered every moment of that game. It was, and it was, it was very touching. And then, God bless Ron Howard. He, uh, you know, I started in his first movie that he ever directed called Grand Theft Auto, which you can look up. It's not the video game. It's not the video game. <laughs> But it's uh, it's a Roger Corman film. If you ever uh, into that genre of films, but, yeah. Uh, uh, he uh, he direct, that was his first directing film, and of course, I'm really proud. If you quickly IMDb me, so to speak, uh, being in the movie Parenthood, I really am proud of that work. That was a great movie, Parenthood. Yeah. Anyway, that's why I got into the California story, coming to California because it all connected. Happy days and playing Bruiser and getting to meet Henry Henry Winkler. That's really cool. And what was what was Henry Winkler like? You know, Henry was uh, Henry. Henry's always been Henry. And the first time I met him, we were both. I was on chips, and he was doing Happy Days. I know who he was, and uh, and you know who I was. And we were both had given up our Saturday morning to do some charity thing. And I don't even remember what it was, but we were there and we we're talking. And then um, I watched him, you know, his career grow and. Uh, and then years later, he became um, he's a wonderful actor, and he was doing a play with my best one of my very best friends, John Ritter, and dinner party. I saw it here, and then I saw it in New York on Broadway. Of course, Henry was you know, so Henry is um, he's Henry. He's a really an amazing guy and a really decent man. You have to tell me what it was like. Yeah. 
speaking of friends with John Ritter, because every night, even now, like, I watch Three's Company almost religiously. I am a huge fan of John Ritter. He was uh, very... I went to college with John. Oh, my goodness. Pals back in the day, you know, I'm talking late 60s, and uh, I was the first hippie he ever met, so it was fascinating. (laughs) He just want to know... You know what my experiences were, what I had done. You know, and uh, but ironically, his parent, his father was Tex Ritter, of course, the famous cowboy actor, star, and uh, his mom was Dorothy, and they were friends of my parents. And when John was in high school at Hollywood High, and I was in high school at Notre Dame High, we lived like a quarter mile apart in the same area called Toluca Lake in the valley. And uh, and my mother and father would go out to dinner with his parents, and my mother would come home and she'd say, "You got to meet this this John Ritter. He's a great guy. You really like him." But of course, you know how kids are. You never listen to your parents. So I'm at SC, <laughs> and suddenly I'm in classes with him, and and worse, I'm competing for parts with him because he was you know he was good, and he knew what, what was going on, and I really was just getting involved and just learning what the whole process of acting was. And we became very uh, dear friends, and uh, we both, uh, you know, my late wife and his first wife, Nancy, we double dated. We, you know, we did a lot of very personal things, in fact. And John was such a good and loyal friend. He not only produced my sports comedy that I wrote with my partner, Dennis Redfield, Lake versus Redfield for the World Cup, Gold Cup, Puck Cup belt, but he also produced... He also produced uh, my one-man show, um, helped move it from the little theater where we started to uh, a bigger theater in Hollywood, where it was picked up by HBO and made the film of the play I wrote. So, and that was, John was completely behind that and completely promoted it, and uh, was such a loyal friend in a deep, deep personal way, and I uh, still, I uh, was actually the minister at his funeral. Oh, wow. Uh, very difficult. That very difficult Monday morning. And, uh, you know, to this day, I, I miss him dearly because of the laughs. You know, he would come into the theater in college, and, you know, it's 10 a.m. where everyone's sort of half conscious. And he would come in, and within three minutes, we would all be peeing. We'd all be on the floor rolling. <laughs> just so. Just, you know, I just, he had a character he played called Edwin Marcus, who was the ultimate nerdy kind of guy. Yeah. It's just this weird, and he just bonded this guy, and we would all just be laughing. We would just all be crazed, and uh, he was my catcher on my softball team. And uh, I remember the night, Michelle, this is for you. The night we're we're practicing because the season's about to start, and we're walking out, you know. And he's walking with me. He goes, and I'm the pitcher. He's the catcher, and he goes, "Listen, I don't think I'm going to be able to play this season." I said, "What do you mean?" You know. And he goes, well, I've got this show. I think they're going to be based on a British show. It's called Three's Company. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's Company, too. <clears throat> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> See how it goes. <laughs> well, I guess we know now. It, it went, you know, and, uh, and, and and you know the truth is, he remained John. You know, he'd come over and 
you know, with the kids, and he, you know, he'd be up in the room with all the kids. Truly, he'd be up there playing with them. He was just a big kid at heart. Yeah, he did. And what a great actor. You know, I know he's yeah. funny, but he did some great dramatic work, too. He yeah. played a, 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 an Agent Orange victim in a, in, in a show that he was tremendous. And, of course, Sling Blade. I watched Sling Blade. I'm watching the movie, and I suddenly realized that, that I'm looking <laughs> watching John. <laughs> I was so stunned. I went, oh, my God. It's, it's, Ritter, you know, it's like you know, he was. Uh, yeah, he's great. Well, thank really you for sharing that. My pleasure. I just, I love to talk about him because he was so special. Yeah. yeah. When my wife died, he said, "You know, she's the first tree in our forest to fall." I still am close with his kids, and you know, his first wife Nancy. His kids are great, and his kids are talented too, from what I've seen. Some uh, his yeah, son, you know, Jason, is and Tyler. I mean, they're. I mean, Carly's a wonderful singer, but she's pretty much becoming a mom. But, um, yeah, Tyler is, Tyler's hilarious. And Tyler looks so much like John. Yes, yes. Jason's really gifted. He really is good. And it's funny, I'm, you said pull up your filmography. So I'm, I'm going through your filmography and I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. I'm not like a huge, I, I have my safety movies. And one of those that does not like movies that make me feel very often because I'm a huge, I have huge empathy for a lot of things. And I probably cried for two weeks straight after watching Forrest Gump because it bothered me so bad. But I'm excited to realize that I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it that you were in Smart House on Disney Channel. Like, <laughs> I did, I was in Smart House. I don't, I don't know that I had a large role in it, but it, it was. It was kind of a cool thing. And Smart House, that, that was interesting when you look back on it. It was yeah. a great concept. Yeah, it really was. So I was, well, ooh, Smart House, that's not a Disney Plus right now. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it and find <laughs> you in there and just be like, hey, I talked to that gentleman. So I'm all excited. So I'll have to go back and rewatch it again. No, the, but. The, 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 the producer who hired me for Smart House. Also got me one of the greatest gigs I ever had, which was I got to get not as far as you guys, but I got flown to New Zealand. Oh wow! Auckland, to participate in a movie called Every Woman's Dream, and it was a Showtime movie, and it starred Kim Cattrall, Jeff Fane, oh, okay. and what's his name? Bill Macy was supposed to play the role that I did. Oh wow! But Bill Macy couldn't do it at the last minute because he had to go promote Fargo, the movie, you know, when it was yeah. first coming out. So I'm literally, I don't know what I'm doing, tooling around, playing paddle tennis, or hanging out. And my manager calls and he says, do you have a passport? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you've gotten a call. There's, there's interest in you. We're just waiting to hear. But if the director goes for it, you're going to be on a flight tonight to New Zealand. So I literally, you know, had the greatest flight of my life because it was first class. You know, it was just a, an unbelievable experience. And I get to go down there and I get to work and, and, and do the thing. And uh, it was that same producer, Michael Hewitt. That's, really well, that's cool. actually something that's actually something you and I have in common, Paul. I've actually been flown to New Zealand to act in something as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was many, many years ago. It was just a, a TV commercial, but I, I, from I've found out obviously since then that they do a lot of our 
advertising filming in New Zealand. I think that a lot of the laws are a little um, more relaxed over there and it's cheaper, so that's the reason. But they do a lot of filming of TV and movies in New Zealand now for that reason as well. Um, Power Rangers is a good example. They film that in, they've done that for about 15 years now. And from what I hear, they film a lot in New Zealand. Lord of the Rings is the other big, big one that everyone I, thinks of. And It's funny because the person I got to was introduced to, to go when I went there, a lawyer friend of mine, she sent me, she said, you know, she introduced me to this woman, Philippa Boyens, who became Michael or Mark, whatever his name is, the guy that created the Lord of the Rings, what's his name, Mark, the director, who's the producer, director? Um, J.I.R. Tolkien? No, no, mm-hmm. the, the... Oh, no, sorry, he's the writer. Yeah, Mark, uh, anyway, uh, she's his partner. She, you know, they do these these stories, and I met her then when I was there, and it was very nice. I thought I thought New Zealand was great. I've always wanted to go to Melbourne. That's where I've always wanted to go. Because I've always had fantasies about playing Royal Melbourne. You know, you see that golf course and you go like, now that's a track. It might take a, bit, a little while before we're allowing people to come in internationally, but uh, yeah. but we'd love to have you. <laughs> I'll show yeah, you around. I, yeah, I think uh, I had friends who were there when you were shutting it down. And they got one of the last flights out. Very lucky. They were really, they were like, they didn't even fly to L.A. They didn't care. They just got to the mainland. They were just, they flew to San Francisco. Well. Get to the right country first and then, yeah. then you can go from yeah. there. Yeah, yeah that, at that point, just getting into San Francisco, it's like, okay, we'll take a car and drive home. A few hours versus uh, anything else. No, just a thanks. You know, I remember thinking when I was in New Zealand, A, that I was far away. That I felt, I don't know if you have ever had a sense, but yeah. Because I'm from this climb, this latitude, or whatever, but I felt like I was really low on the planet, like way down. I could feel like I was down under, but I just remember that feeling about being on an island. You know, the same with Hawaii. When I go to visit my dad in Hawaii, I was stranded once in Hawaii, and I didn't like it. It was, you know, if you got to get going, get out of there. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Actually, I had a similar feeling when I was in Thailand. Did you? Yeah, yeah feel, feeling like you're on an island. Yeah. yeah, poor me. I've never left the States. <laughs> well, that's because, and you're the newbie. I know. I know. I know. Well, I we're going to have to, we're going to have to have, you know, a, a quantum leap fans and cast pilgrimage and everyone can come and meet in Melbourne. There you go. <laughs> well, you have that, you have that, you know, they, you know, there was a group that got together at ships. I don't know if you ever, but they got together at ships reunion. It was very interesting. People came from all over the world. Oh yeah, we'll do like a cruise. It wasn't like a star. It wasn't like a Star Trek thing, you know, where it's ten thousand people because yeah. you know, ships is not at that level. But there were people that came, you know, from all over. It's really weird is I've been list- I've been watching a few things, and there was actually a cruise ship who did a Golden Girls cruise ship event. We could do like a Quantum Leap one. I think that could really. I understand that. You're right. You know that. You can see why it would work for the Golden Girls because of the ages. <laughs> yeah. And you may have to wait a little while before you're going to get anybody on a cruise ship. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Darn it. Yeah. Really, this whole crew. But, uh, you know, but Quantum Leap actually is a show. They used to do conventions quite a lot and get um, you know all the fans together for getting as much merchandise as they could and Right, some right. of the some of the stars would go go there as guests and big panels. The last one was well over ten years ago, but uh, maybe it's time we organise another one. There you go. And where was that? Where did that happen? That oh, 
to be honest, I can't quite remember. It was okay. Okay, that's right. Just curious. Paul, yeah, I, I can look it up. If, if there's ever one that I can, I'd be glad to participate. I was supposed to do one last month for Motel Hell in uh, <sighs> Cleveland, but of course, no one's traveled. Right yeah. now, Paul, when you did the boogeyman, he was the one you sent to kill the f- <laughs> boogeyman. Because I like saying it just to, like, completely weird Hayden out. (laughs) Um, Did you, were you able to keep anything? Did you get to keep your costume? Did you, were you able to, did you get any autograph? I mean, what are some, what are some things about that that you can tell us? Did you, what what are some favorite memories of it or... Tell us a little bit. One of the things I liked about it was one of my favorite memories, believe it or not, is uh, working with Valerie Mahaffery. She is she is a tremendous actress. I didn't realize at the time her her background and everything, and she was you know it was really great because you know it was being with actors. That's what I remember. As far as souvenirs go, you know they frown on you taking because. Really, everything has to be accounted for. Like, for example, Motel Hell. I got a, I got a shirt. I got a badge, but it was not, a, it was not a real badge at all. I got a nameplate. I think I got Sheriff Bruce. I got a nameplate. That, that was about it. Because you don't, you know, on chips, I got, I got a, ba- a real badge actually, which I'm not supposed to have, but flashing words. But and I did get that, and. Um, but like for example, the jacket I wanted—they they would. They, I mean, I know Eric got whatever he wanted, but I—that I, was not me. And, uh, I got swag that we gave each other for Christmas and stuff like that, vests and belt buckles. Yeah, nothing from Quantum Leap. I don't remember taking it. Maybe the Polaroid. You know, sometimes when you're finally in costume and, and makeup, mm-hmm. what they'll do is they'll take a Polaroid of you. So that no one has to trust anyone's memory about what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because, like maybe a couple of days later, all of a sudden you got to look the same way. So right. They have a reference point. So there is some form of continuity of everything. But uh, Very nice. Yeah. Do you have any fun stories that you can remember from your time working in the Halloween episode or in Played Against Seymour? Uh, well, I remember, I remember about playing against Seymour was how much I enjoyed Willie Garson. <laughs> Because at the time, I didn't know who Willie Garson was. And, of course, he went on to be hilarious at Sex in the City. And he obviously had great talent. And, you know, he's one of those guys being around, you can just see it. Because it just was it just was there. He didn't have to do anything. He was just himself. And uh, I remember the, the downtown, that building where we filmed that. That's a famous building. And a lot of movies have been shot there. And, and, and that, that was really cool. I remember the nightclub. I remember, um, you know, I just remember uh, that, again, when I said earlier, how hard everyone was working just to try to make that one happen. The Halloween episode was a much smoother episode. By then, they're in their third season. Crew was all in sync. Uh, so much of that episode took place at that house. Mm-hmm. So, and that house was a house that is used a lot in films. It's in Studio City. It wasn't far away. And I remember being in Griffith Park and doing the driving scene. And I do remember trying not to puke <laughs> <laughs> on that wheel that went around. That was, I, that was, <laughs> and then they, you know, I felt bad for the camera guy, the steady camera guy. He's in the middle of this thing. And it's just, it was, that was very, very odd. 
Oh, I'm surprised they actually had someone in there. You'd think maybe they'd just place the camera down and keep it there and then just film it. No, they had a guy. They, they, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, you know, remember, I remember the driving at, at, at Griffith Park at night, you know, pulling, pulling that stuff. You know, I, I tend to remember a lot of the night shoots. Because I found night shoots challenging. Now, when you're done yep. with your shooting and everything's been wrapped up, are you one of those that won't go back and watch what you've done? Or do you ever go and actually watch the episode? Uh, I probably watch the episode, but then never like necessarily watch it again. And remember now, when that show came on, we had VCRs then, so you could record it. But now it's so easy to record everything. It's much easier to capture everything. But uh, yeah, I think I was still... I watched. I like those parts. So, you know, but there are things you do. You don't necessarily watch. You don't have to. You don't you miss it. Or movie I did with Powers Booth for HBO, and they had a lot of problems with it. It was about white supremacy. It's actually quite interesting. And I played an undercover cop who goes into this group to try to help Powers rescues. Anyway, but again, I just remember midnight shoots. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you watched any other? episodes of Quantum Leap besides yours? Have you watched the show beyond? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have. I mean, at that time, I'm trying to remember, can, can you give me the year that that was filmed? Do we, do we know what years they were? I think Played Against Seymour was 1989, and hang yeah, on, I'm just see, looking it up for you, and the other one must have been a couple of years later, maybe 91. Yeah, or, yeah a little bit later, because in 89, I was still a widower, so I remember things were so crazy, you know, watching television. I had three little kids I was responsible. Oh, my goodness. Plus, I was doing my one-man show, like, all the time. So that was really my priority right then, because I was, I was on a mission with that show, so that was <laughs> my thing. And, and the second one, I already met my wife, because I remember she's, she had quite a great career herself, but she never got to do a lot of But she got to do L.A. Law. She got to yeah. do some great, great shows. Tonight. You know, you were saying when you were watching Play It Again Seymour that you couldn't remember what the ending was and you, you didn't realize that you were the, the bad guy. Did you remember how the Halloween episode was going to end with Al actually as the devil pretending to be Al? No, I, that I did not. I, re, I re, You know, I remembered, I'm telling you, I remember the house, I remember Valerie, and of course Scott and Dean. Uh, I remember that I was the sheriff. And I remember that I had the toothpick. Or the match, <laughs> yeah. Or whatever it was. The match. I, I yeah. remember that. And uh, and I remember trying that after we spoke, Hayden, I kept trying to remember one one line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite is the one that you were saying about the army tattoo being embarrassing because your character was actually from the Navy. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite line of yours. But I just remember saying about that if you play, you know, if you. Something about if you do this, you have to, you know, use matches. That's all I remember. But it was if you light a gas stove, you light a gas stove. Yeah. To see myself, how long ago was that? Around 30 years, yeah. I'd say. Because it must have been 1990 or 91. Well, I mean, my, the first one, I'm, you know, 41 years old. And the second one, I'm like 44, 43, 42. I mean, it's <laughs> it's fun to see yourself. But, you know, I look good there. I look good. I like that look. I, I, I thought I was trim. In, that was a trim period. <laughs> You're like, damn! I was I was looking sharp. <laughs> yeah, I looked sharp. I had my years. I had my years, you know. And then uh, what I liked about Lionel, looking back on playing against Seymour, was he had he did have some edge. 
Lionel was kind of, you know, he had something going on. Whatever yep. it was. I still don't know why he was killing people. It never really, they didn't really kind of understand that. Sometimes psychos just exist. I guess so. I had no idea I was the dropper. Well, if I may say so, I think you look very, very handsome still to this day. Well, that's very sweet. I'm letting the hair grow, you know, so the COVID look. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody is. But every time I try to trim my beard, I, because I, I, I broke my main razor, every time I try to trim it, a big part comes out, so then I have to cut it all the way back, so it's growing out again. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Willie Garrison earlier. He was he's also been in that, another episode Michelle's watched. He was in the Lee Harvey Oswald episode. Ah, he played Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, okay. That episode made me mad. Which we'll hear more next month on, but. <laughs> That episode made me mad. I, I was looking forward to more of JFK being in that episode, not Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, I love Willie Garris. He's a, he's a great actor. He really is. My birthday is uh, November yeah. 22nd, so we're doing an actual birthday special episode on that day. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they let me well, watch that one out of Including me in one of these. I appreciate it. Oh, oh. we're so honored. Yes, very much so. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope I haven't rambled too much, but... Uh, no, this has been great. Oh, Not you could ramble even <laughs> longer. We'd be yeah. so grateful. It's interesting. My youngest, Lily, who just got her master's degree from Tufts University in Boston, she, her master's thesis was a five-episode podcast series. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just completed. Uh, created, you know, the concept, interviewed the people, put it together, produced it, found somebody to do the music for, and she narrates it, and it's a, it's a great form. It's really a cool form. That's fantastic. Well, I wish I'd known that. I wish I'd known I could have done, done podcasting to get a master's. Yeah, <laughs> to really. Write a to get mine. <laughs> what was no, her topic? But the thing was, because of her topic was, she was in, she was in a, a, a program that had to do with the sort of the ethics of urban planning. Oh, okay. And, and she started this before what happened in this last year, but she, it was called Walkability and Race. So it's it's to look at cities and how it is to be in it, to be people of color. You know, where do you walk? What is your experience of walking? And, and it's... It, and it's it, it's interesting because um, it's been listened. She's had eleven different countries wow. listen to her program. You know, she's got uh, sixteen states in the United States. She's got you know, about nine hundred views or listens. So there, it, it's 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 not a topic that's for everyone. But when you think about it, I mean, the very first guy she interviews grew up in uh, like Jamaica, and he went to to America, and he figured he'd go to New Orleans to the most what he thought would be the black-friendly city. And what he found was that when and he was in Jamaica, he knew who the bad guys were and he knew how to avoid them. What he wasn't prepared for was suddenly being the bad guy. Right. Oh, wow. And what he learned, for example, was if you're a person of color, you're a man, you always wear a shirt that has a university logo. You always carry a book. And you also remember that if you're walking on the street and a white person is ahead of you, either walking towards you or away from you, you cross the street. That's All crazy. Right. And that's what he had to do. To say, and, 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 you know, and it goes on. It's much more, you know, she had interesting guests. And 
I'm proud of her. I'm glad it's it's done. I remember the fact that I international podcast. Yeah. And you might also want to let her know that in an upcoming episode, we've interviewed Deborah Pratt, who was the co-executive yes. producer of Quantum Leap, yep. and she had some unbelievable stories about her experiences as a person of colour as well, because she wrote a lot of the very powerful episodes like The Colour of Truth and Black and White on Fire about Sam having to live as a black person in times of segregation and um, experiencing the racism, so your daughter may enjoy hearing about her experiences too. I will put, the, put that out there. It's interesting. Deborah Pratt, and I think I'm remembering it right, we were in acting class together. Wow. We, we were, wow. In, But it wasn't acting, acting, it was a comedy class. We were in with a guy named Harvey Lembeck, who was on a show called Sar- Sergeant Bilko. This, you guys are too young. You don't have I remember Sergeant Bilko. <laughs> Phil Silvers, Phil Silvers was Sergeant Bilko, and he had two co- two sidekicks, mm-hmm. a tall guy and a short guy, and Harvey was the short guy. And he was oh, okay. a great, great comedian and a great teacher of comedy. And he had a Monday night class that was legendary in L.A. It was uh, Robin Williams was in it, and John Ritter was in it. I mean, it was people who could improv at a very high level. I was in the second class, the first ever Saturday morning class, which was like the B team. You know, that was the A team and the B team. And I worked my way into the A team. Didn't like the A team. Because uh, I was doing it for fun. It was a little cutthroat out there. I was not that serious about it. But anyway, but Deborah Pratt was in that Saturday morning class, I do believe, with Mary Lou Hanner. Wow. And uh, John Laura John Larroquette. Oh, wow. There were some talented people in that class, I, and I think Deborah Pratt was in it. Yeah, you've led such an interesting life. Maybe you need to spend the COVID times writing your memoirs. I'm sure everyone would love to read them. <laughs> I've thought about it, but it's like, you know, and, uh, everybody's life is so interesting if you really get into it. I, I actually have been thinking about writing something for the kids, but I've just sort of been stuck in the idea of just basically going over the decades, you know, the 40s. What what ha- what are the most significant things happened to me in the forties? Uh, being born, but then get into the fifties, the sixties, the seventies. You know the, the the key key moments, just because you do. You know as you as we as our star fades away and the when we catch the light beam out of here. Uh, nice for them to remember, know something of your experiences. I mean, I've been so I've written a lot of autobiographical plays. So when you, I have to laugh because I already have a published memoir called "Time Flies When You're Alive." which was about the 10 years of my period of my life where I was married and had a wife get breast cancer and die and the things I went through with that. And that's what the HBO movie was. It was a film of my performance. Very proud of that. I would encourage you to check it out. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty special. But I've also written things about my father, I've written about Christine, my wife now, about how we met and what it was like to come in and to be take on a widow with three kids, you know, how heroic that is, because that's you know, the fact that we had a child together and the family we've created. That was called It's Time, which is available on YouTube. If you want to see It's Time, for me, We shall have to post a link to that for you. Just go to Paul Link on YouTube, Paul Link, It's Time, full show. It's right there for you. Fantastic. So I've been very forthright in, like, Communicating with audiences, my experience of what it is like to be alive. But, you know, I appreciate it. I do think about it a lot. There are a lot of little experiences I have, and then I'll have memories. I go, oh, yeah, I did that. 
Well, I hope watching the couple of episodes of Quantum Leap helped bring back some really nice memories for you as well. It was wonderful. I'm so glad that I did, and I'm grateful to you for suggesting it. You know, it was a lot of times you look at something you did and you go, oh my God, that was so bad. I didn't feel that way. And that that made me feel good. Good. That's good to hear. I know it's a bit difficult doing anything in the pandemic, but do you have any upcoming projects uh, that you might want us to promote for you? No, I appreciate that. No, not really. I um, I was in a play when the pandemic hit. Pray that someday I'll be on stage again. I'm much more interested in that than I am in TV or film, really. I love being on stage. I feel that there's something very special. What was the play? It was a play called Mistakes Were Made. It was a very sort of dumb, but really smartly written comedy by a guy who actually... Uh, Jerry Mayer is his name. He's written 10 plays, and some have been produced in New York. But he used to be a TV writer. He ran Facts of Life, that show. He was the show. Anyway, he's in his late 80s now. He decided to make a list of all the mistakes he'd made. So he made this list. And he goes, I'm going to write a play about the mistakes I made. And it's called Mistakes Were Made. And it's, the premise was... Three writers work together on the, you know, the number one all Seinfeld, whatever you imagine the number one all-time comedy. <laughs> Mythical show, not a real show, but yeah. But the bit was we were all writing on it, and in the middle of writing it and creating it, we had falling out. I lied. I said that this, the network didn't want to renew the show and because and I, I really had another show that I was trying to get going. So we had a lot of baggage, the three Old, what we call altar cockers, right? The three older guys getting together at a delicatessen, West Hollywood, trying to make peace, having not seen each other in 10 years after a major. And when we all played ourselves at different ages, that was a very, and we had people that played us when they were much younger and stuff, but it was an hour long and it had heart. And that's what I liked about it because I got to bring the heart. I made people that's laugh right. and I got to bring the heart. So it was really, really fun. And People really liked what I was doing, and everyone, the, crew, the cast was great, the crew was great, real fun experience. But suddenly, you know, when someone sneezed in the room, or someone coughed in the room... Shut everything down. I said, you know what, guys? Our audience that comes to see this is all people that are over 65 years old. Oh, wow. Why are we bringing all these old people? Because <laughs> <laughs> the virus... <laughs> we're still in, like, mid-March. The virus is coming. It's coming. So I said, I'm not, I, I said, you know what? That last Sunday, full house, a woman sneezed. You could feel, you know, we're doing a comedy. You could feel the tension in the room. So I said to the producers, I said, you know what, guys, I'm out. They wanted to try to keep it, but then the other actors followed suit and said, well, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. That was it. And unfortunately, I don't know when theater will happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Probably won't be able to be the full houses. Our daughter is a hu- is really huge in the theater. She's had a lot of leading roles in elementary. She's now in seventh grade, but her sixth grade year, she was supposed to play Ursula in The Little Mermaid. And it was the week of performance. They did dress rehearsal. I, well, they did costume check. Dress rehearsal was supposed to be the following day. And they shut it down and the kids never did get to perform. And we had, this was to be her last performance of her elementary years. And she's done, they usually don't open up the play to the lower, lower ages in the school, but 
usually it's only fourth, fifth, and sixth. But for her, they had actually, uh, luckily, it opened up younger grades when she was younger. So she has had a role in the school play since first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And every year she's stepped up her role. So she's gone from just being a dancer to uh, she's played in, let's see, Aladdin. She's gone from playing in Annie. She's done, she played Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast one night and Beauty the next night. So she actually had dual roles and dual lead, dual lead positions in the play. So she actually had to know both roles. She had both costumes, costume changes and everything. Let's see here. She's played Captain Hook, played tons of different roles. Did she want to do this? Did she want to do this? Is that what she's hoping to do? Um, Or is it just fun for her now? Right now, I am not sure. Puberty is hit and she's at that awkward stage where, oh my gosh, mom, nursing me. But she still, to this day, you can't stop her from singing when she's, you tell her, Alexa, stop singing, and she doesn't even realize she's singing. She's very musically inclined, always drawing. Right now, she's into anime and all that fun stuff, but since she was just little, she's been one of those kids where you go into play practice. She's done hula troops and that kind of thing as well. But she's just one of those kids where she could go to practice and do a full practice and just kind of just roll with the punches. But the moment that spotlight is on and there's people in the audience, it's like she flips the switch and she becomes a totally different person on stage. And you could just see it. it. It's really weird. It's like she just has the acting chops in that regard. And it's she just becomes a totally different person. It, it, it's fun to watch. So I'm hoping oh, I'm gosh. hoping that in high school she'll watching continue. Your, watching your child perform is is uh, wonderful. It can be very nerve wracking, but it's, uh, <laughs> watching them succeed is it's thrilling. Yep, very much so. Do you do either of you, um, Aaron or Michelle, have any other questions you want to ask Paul while we've got him here? No, I don't think so. Except I'm just thankful and grateful again, and just over the moon excited that we got to speak with you. I'm, I I really enjoyed I really enjoyed uh, watching you in the in the, the in the book episode, Hayden. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. you can say that because if it crashes now we've got it. <laughs> yeah. But no you did a you did do a great job in, oh, in both so. of your roles there. Really uh, enjoyable to watch and uh, like I said the show has aged very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just as relevant now as it was back then, and uh, we all uh, really uh, are very thankful that you uh, took the time out to talk to us. And uh, very much so. Yeah, and thanks for making such an awesome show. Well, thanks a lot, and thanks for your interest. And I wish you all the best. And to that young thespian to be, I wish you all the best in the world. Why? Not thank you, all. sir, so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking thank time you. out your night to talk with right. us. I'll talk to you guys. Take care. Sounds good. Be safe. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Starbright Project. Join us monthly as we continue leaping with Sam and Al. If you like the show, I recommend buying Quantum Leap on Blu-ray. You can also watch it on the NBC website or app. The only thing on this show that Michelle and I own are our thoughts and opinions. NBC Universal own the rights to Quantum Leap, and any songs that we use are owned by their respective owners. Any clips we use, we're using good faith for the show. I know this doesn't excuse us legally, but we just want NBC to sue us. 
We're just big fans of the show and want to share that love with the world. For more podcasting goodness, check out the other shows on the Headcast Network. Head Speaks is released on the first Tuesday of the month, where I talk about comics, TV shows, movies, books, and whatever I want, but it's usually geek-related. G.I. Joe, Aurora Mike and Headcast, is normally out the second Tuesday of the month, where a rotating batch of guest hosts and I discuss the G.I. Joe comics and cartoons from the 80s. The third Thursday brings us Task Force X, where I talk about John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate Comics, both from the late 80s, early 90s. Finally, the fourth Tuesdays of the month, we have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I examine the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, both from the late 80s. Then on Thursdays, I release my second batch of shows, where Michelle shows up on most of them. The first Thursday of the month, I'll be releasing the Starbright Project, a Quantum Leap podcast, where Michelle and I look at the greatest time travel show in the late 80s and early 90s. Then the second Thursday of the month, look for Retrospect to the 80s. You guessed it, Michelle and myself take a time travel trip back to the greatest decade that was, in my opinion. The third Thursday will possibly, maybe, bring another show, Voyager's Cast where Michelle, I, and some guests look at the best time travel show from the early 80s. And finally, on the fourth Thursday of the month, I have Bravo Team, where myself and possibly some guest hosts talk about anything G.I. Joe related, not covering the main G.I. Joe show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, please check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash headcastnetwork. If you're enjoying my shows, throw a few bucks in the bin. It'll be most appreciated. But that'll do it for this episode. Join us next time to see where Sam ends up. Oh, boy. So, I'm uh, like Put him up to the camera. So that you know, I'm trying. You know, I'm having trouble. I have a weird half screen. I can't see the puppy. Oh, okay. Um, now does I can that see help? The puppy. Oh yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> He's biting. Aaron. You've never looked lovelier. Thank you. I took <laughs> special care. Greetings from Southern California. <laughs> Greetings from Central yes. anyway, California. Yeah, actually, I should point out. The um the structure of the podcast. Wait, wait, wait. I want to go Aaron first. I, I want to go first, Hayden. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't. No, no. This is our podcast. You zip it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Go first. Then. Instead of sending Grace into babysitter, I should have sent the freaking dog. Into <laughs> oh my god! I don't know what got into him tonight. Uh,